0: Hello, it's 6th of May 2017, and this is episode 28 of Scavenger's Horde, a Star Wars podcast. I'm Rachel. And I'm Kirsty. We're here to deliver a regular rundown of Star Wars news, analysis and commentary, with a focus on the sequel trilogy and the future of the saga. So Kirsty, how has your week in Star Wars been? Did you do anything for May the 4th? Well, I was actually homesick
1: on May 4th, so (laughs) yeah, I'm still not feeling great. Um, Now, But um, it meant that I could watch some Star Wars. So that was the silver lining. Um, So I watched the original trilogy again over the past two days. And um, I've also been reading Guardians of the Wills, the Chirrut and Baze book by Greg Rooker. Oh, nice. Yeah, I'm really enjoying that. Oh, Um, good.
0: I I saw some people complaining because apparently it's not really about them being Guardians of the Wills. And I think that's what people wanted. Oh, yeah. It's still
1: kind of in the timeline of... Like after the Imperials have obviously come in and taken over, so it's right. I don't know the exact time frame, but I'm guessing it's quite close to Rogue One. Uh, I don't want to go into spoilers for people, but that's just kind of my understanding of the story so far. But I'm, yeah, I'm only part way through it. Yeah. Um, but yeah, they were my two favorite characters from Rogue One, so I'm glad that that book came out. Oh nice. Um,
0: Are they still just as much of an old married couple in the book?
1: well i am biased in that i thought that from the movie but yes (laughs) there's lots of stuff that i'm like come on it's that whole like roommates living together thing it's like okay sure i guess people can see it at what they want to see but (laughs) we shame no one for their ships here kirsty no (laughs) yeah i mean from my opinion like that was my understanding of it that they were a couple but i know that that's not what everyone thinks so Mm -hmm. sure how about your week
0: uh, yeah, no, it's been good. I was um, feeling a bit bad because I helped to participate in the Vanity Fair will give us photos expectation for May the 4th thing. Well, uh, which it was is, what know, everyone was hoping for, right? So It was what everyone was hoping for. And to be fair, there were some cryptic emojis, shall I say, deployed by members of Vanity Fair staff on Twitter that raised hopes. They shouldn't have raised our hopes. We should know better than that. But, yeah... I-, I did actually use the hashtag vanityunfair <laughs> <laughs> a few times. That's funny. <laughs> yeah, because of course I take these things like a mature adult. Um, but yeah, basically, I want my fashion shots of Arland and Ray and Kylo and Finn and Rose and Luke all looking badass in their costumes. That is um, totally understandable. Thank so you. We'll get them at some point. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure they exist. That's how I've been comforting people. I'm sure these photos exist. They They are definitely do, because we know that Annie was out there with them, right, as they were filming. We've had very, very, very strong corroborating
1: evidence to that effect, yes. Yeah. And, you know, they they do it for every Star Wars film. It's just a question of when we'll get them. Because I think everyone fought May 4th because that was the case for The Force Awakens. Correct. But this year, we also have the 40th anniversary. So maybe they're waiting for that.
0: I think that would actually make more sense in terms of the usual time frame when Vanity Fair promote their new issue right Um, because they tend to do it towards the end of the month it's very peculiar because most fashion magazines are promoting their June issues like by now definitely some of them are even promoting them back in April it's silly how these things work <laughs> um, but yeah Vanity Fair is a bit slow Um, but yeah fingers crossed for this month please please <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah like I need to contain my expectations because I'm not good at it and it leads only to disappointment um, right. But then to move on from that, um, the usual business, of course, is to beg you shamelessly for iTunes reviews and ratings. Please, if you haven't already, please do go and rate and review us because it helps us a lot. And it means we give you our eternal thanks and gratitude. Um, so yes, thank you to you all. You're marvellous. Every single one. <laughs> um, and if you have any questions for the podcast for later, please do send them to scavengershoard at gmail.com. Right, then we can move into news. And don't worry, this is all non-spoiler stuff. Um, There will be a spoiler section, but we will very, very clearly indicate when that starts for you. Right, so the first story we have is that the ending to The Force Awakens was changed at Ryan Johnson's request. And this is a story from the good old Anthony Bresliken of Entertainment Weekly. And it's a very long story, so I have cut it down. And we have, yes, the big favour was I asked if R2 could come with Ray and if BB-8 could stay behind with the resistance. Johnson says, Ryan, originally it was BB-8 who went with Ray, which makes sense for the story in a way. But I asked, can you do me this solid and switch the droids? BB-8 won't be shunted aside for The Last Jedi. He'll just spend his time as the familiar of X-Wing pilot Poe Dameron. I love that that makes Poe sound like a witch. <laughs> <Famous> <laughs> that witches have, that's just yeah. weird. <laughs> and as you can see from the recent Star Wars Celebration gathering, the director and the roly-poly robot have <laughs> feelings towards each other. But everyone worried that Luke Skywalker might not have much of a role in the saga going forward. Johnson tells EW that his is the central story. Figuring out where his head was at was the very first thing I had to do when writing the movie. I had to crack this, and it had to be something for me that first and foremost made sense. Why did Luke Skywalker go off to this island? Johnson says. That was the starting point, and that's what the entire movie explores. We know the vague details from The Force Awakens. After the events of Return of the Jedi, the Rebellion became a new republic, and Luke founded his own Professor X-like school for gifted students who displayed a sensitivity to the Force. One of them was his own nephew, Ben Solo, who became corrupted by the Knights of Ren, we still don't know too much about them, and Supreme Leader Snoke. Ditto! Taking the new name Kylo Ren, he helped slaughter his fellow students at the school. After that, his parents... Han Solo and Leia Organa were driven apart, overcome by grief and shame. And Luke Skywalker retreated to a secret, sacred Jedi site on the island world of Act II. But why did Luke run? Shouldn't he have stayed to fight to make this atrocity right? I'm a poet and I don't know it. (laughs) Does fleeing make him a coward? I didn't want it to, Johnson says. There has to be a good reason that makes sense to him, and to some degree makes sense to us. This was basically our May the Fourth offering from Instant mm-hmm. Weekly. I know quite a few people looked at this and were like, "That's it, seriously?" But I think people forget that May the Fourth it's not really like a big news day, and it never mm-hmm. has. Been. Generally, it's about saying, "Yay, Star Wars! Look at this marvelous mural of Chewbacca!" Woo! And all that stuff's wonderful. Don't get me wrong, but when you're kind of in the game for like spoilers and news and like real solid stuff about the future movies I think you can build up your expectations in the wrong direction and get disappointed when you feel that you're not getting the information that you were after but Mm. with all that said I think this is quite a nice little detail and I think you can read behind the lines of this and actually find a more interesting story that's going on like not being explicitly stated as such but still coming through if you pay close attention Um, what did you think about this Kirsty? Yeah, I mean, I liked the change
1: that Ryan made. I think that was the right decision, um, because R two obviously has that connection to Luke that BB eight doesn't, mm-hmm. and it means that we know we'll get scenes with R two that we didn't have in the Force Awakens. I think people were quite disappointed about that. Yeah. Even as as great as BB eight is, you know, mm. um, <clears throat> they obviously have quite different personalities and temperaments. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> um. So yeah, and. I've seen some people express concern that this means that J.J. Abrams hadn't figured out why Luke was on the island. But I would say that's pretty par for the course with a trilogy where you have different directors and writers. Because it is up to Ryan to make that part of the story. Yeah. So that's the story that we'll get in Episode 8. And um, it doesn't really matter why he's on the island from the perspective of The Force Awakens. You know, mm. he's just there, removed from the action, and he's kind of the MacGuffin. Yeah. And um, I I know people who are super into the lore and mythology, and I am interested in that side of it, um, but that stuff from a storytelling point of view is kind of background detail that serves to allow the characters to develop in a way that the writers want them to. So, mm. looking at the way Episode Eight looks to be constructed, with Luke and Ray isolated on the island... Um, that's that's the purpose right so yeah. all of the other stuff the explanation for why luke's there as interesting as i'm sure it will be it's all a device to help ray on her journey yes so it's it's to serve character development ultimately so it's a macguffin in itself even if it turns out to be very interesting yeah so i don't i don't think people need to worry about that too much
0: yeah that is very true i think like you say the whole idea of this isolated island where there's only going to be ray and luke that's because that is a very particular relationship and dynamic. They wanted to explore of those characters. Mm-hmm. So they deliberately wanted to isolate them away from everyone else. And having that as part of the story for episode eight, that would have been much more important, I think to the overarching narrative than Luke's actual purpose and having gone to the Island to begin with. And like you say, it's important that JJ didn't flesh out all the reasons for that because then what is there for Ryan to do? Because he's just taking JJ's ideas and basically adapting them into a script. And that's not very fun for him. It doesn't require him to use his imaginative powers, I guess. Right. So yeah, I'm excited. It gives Ryan that freedom to come up with an interesting backstory that will f- actually propel the main story along and provide some like rich texture and substance to it all. Mm-hmm and the emphasis on luke being the central character
1: as well and his his story mm. i think there's something there being left unsaid because we know that luke went to the island after his nephew fell to the dark side mm. and there are hints in canon that that's because of something that they discovered while they were out hunting for jedi lore together yeah so i've seen or well, some people i'm sure are very happy about the idea of luke being the main character yeah <laughs> lots of people love luke but I, I think, and we've talked about this before, We'd, we've said that it it has to be that Luke was on the island for a reason. He didn't just flee because he's a coward, because <laughs> Luke Skywalker isn't a coward. Yeah. So that, that would just not have been a satisfying way for the story to go. But the fact that he's there for a reason, and Kylo Ren's been trying to find him, and it, it's all converging now, right? Yeah. So it's all going to converge as part of Ray's story again. So it, I'm, I've seen some people be a bit worried that this means that it won't be Rey's story now, but Luke and Kylo Ren's conflict is the backdrop. So that's kind of... And and again, this is coming back to what you say about them being like the devil and angel on her shoulder. There's going to be that split in theory and belief about what they should be doing with the Force and the Jedi and everything. And then yeah. that's her site for you know, internal conflict and trying to figure out her place in the world and moral discovery, as Ryan Johnson was saying last week, you know? Yeah. So I think it all sounds great.
0: Yeah. No, absolutely, because obviously there has been lots of emphasis on the dynamic that Ray is going to share with Luke and lots of big talk about Luke being the main character and the central focus. And I'm absolutely sure he is going to be central to the story. But it's also going to be a question of him being central in the ramifications that his actions had for the other characters and how the other characters relate to him um, is not just going to be like the Luke Skywalker show because we've moved on from that now. And Luke isn't the protagonist anymore. Um, so it's really got to be about like, Ray and how she sees Luke and how she feels about Luke. Um, and yeah, I, I think we're also going to see like the other side of that, as you alluded to Kirsty through Kylo Ren, because As you can see from that teaser poster, Luke and Kylo are shown as these, like, equally prominent but opposed figures on the poster. So, yeah, it's natural that we're going to learn about both of the characters through each other's stories. We're going to learn about Kylo through Luke's story. And we're going to learn about Luke through Kylo's story. Mm -hmm. Um, So, yeah. And I think, ultimately, Ray's going to be... Like in the middle, and having to like weigh up everything that she hears and listen to what they have to say and like form judgments on the base of it. And she's gonna have really like tricky dilemmas to face and hard questions to answer. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if she decides they're both wrong (laughs) and um, (laughs)
1: figures out her own way of doing things. Yeah, I wouldn't blame her.
0: (laughs) Luke and Kylo aren't exactly great adverts for um, their techniques, to be honest. Yeah.
1: Not, not right now, judging by the teaser. It's like, okay, every this family is a mess.
0: <laughs> exactly. Um, oh yeah, and I guess just the other thing to touch upon quickly is the stuff about the backstory that's alluded to here. Um, initially, it seemed quite interesting because um, it indicated certain things like um, Kylo helping to slaughter his fellow students and Kylo being corrupted by the Knights of Ren and Snoke. Um, So it refers to those things, but those things haven't really been confirmed or stressed in other sources. Mm -hmm. So initially, like myself and I think a few other people as well, were like jumping on that a bit and being like, oh, this is exciting. This is new information. Um, But we have since learned through Matt Martin, who's a member of the story group on Twitter, that we shouldn't run too far with it because it does seem like it's most likely just the author extrapolating based on, like the Force back from The Force Awakens where you see the Knights and Ren with Kylo in the rain mm-hmm. stuff. Um, so yeah, it seems really interesting, but like I'm not getting excited about it because it probably means nothing, really. And I yeah. think that story is going to be one of the central surprises, probably, of The Last Jedi. So realistically speaking, I don't see it being leaked in this way, like just as like like below the line paragraphs in an EW story released from May the 4th. I don't think that's how that information will come to light.
1: Yeah. It's tempting to look into what Anthony Bresnikan says a bit more than other journalists because he's so in there with Lucasfilm. Yes. Um, But it does seem like he kind of just, this is his reading of what happened from The Force Awakens. And if anything is like not indirect quotes from Ryan or whoever else he's interviewing, it's probably best just to take it with a pinch of salt.
0: Yeah. Exactly, and to be fair to Anthony, he does preface it by saying, we know the vague details from The Force Awakens. So that's probably his like journalistic way of saying this is the impression one is left with from The Force Awakens. Um, so yeah, I'd say that's very very like, heavy extrapolation from The Force Awakens. But, um,
1: yeah, no one can agree on what happened in The Force back. So.
0: No, <laughs> not at all. <laughs> I do like the allusion to a Professor X-like score. Mm. I do not see Luke as a Charles Xavier figure. No, me neither. Um, Right, then the next story is that episode nine started over with Carrie Fisher's death. And this is again reported via Entertainment Weekly. Um, Although I think Kathleen Kennedy was speaking at celebration. I'm not 100% sure, though. Um, Obviously, with Carrie having passed away, it shook everybody, Kathleen Kennedy says. As they tried to figure out what this meant for Leia's continuing story, the only option was to leave their original ideas behind, we pretty much started over so yeah Kirsty what do you think about this I guess this was always going to be inevitable really like you could never keep the story the same if in the first draft it was written under the assumption that Leia would fully be part of the story and then obviously tragically Carrie dies and
1: right (laughs) yeah exactly I don't think it's anything to panic over because it doesn't mean that everything leading up until episode nine is suddenly irrelevant now. It's just that they had to do some rewrites yeah, to start over where Leia's past story was concerned. Yes. But I'm guessing the bulk of the story has not changed, but certain things are going to have to be adapted. Yeah. Um, like, my guess right now would be that if Leia was going to have a critical impact on Kylo's redemption, that kind of stuff will probably move over to Luke's role. Yes. But who knows?
0: Yeah. My feeling is that... <sighs> I guess, realistically, the only way to tackle this, if it's not tackled at all in The Last Jedi, and it doesn't seem like it will be, is, I think, to actually have it covered in the opening crawl. So, mm. obviously, say General Leia Organa has been tragically killed or something. Oh, It's obviously going to be heartbreaking, but I don't think they have much choice but to do something like that. And then I think it's just going to mean that the whole film starts with a different premise, because the film is presumably going to start with the aftermath of that death. And people respond to that and reacting to that. So I, I don't see them doing it. So that Leia only dies at like halfway through the film, right? Because you can like have people talking about her throughout the first half as if she's alive, and then suddenly be like, oh god, General Leia gun has died, and it all happens off screen.
1: Yeah, that seems more tasteless to me.
0: Yeah, I think that would be really tasteless. So, I think the only option they really have is to have it happen right before the events of the film start and then like build the film off that, which obviously would result in quite fundamental changes. I don't think it will mean that all the characters' arcs will be like fundamentally altered, but like you said, stuff like Kylo's redemption, if Leia was gonna have a big role in that, then that is gonna mean there's gonna be big adjustments to Kylo's role and Luke's role, because he'd presumably because he'd presumably be taking some of that on himself. Right. Um so yeah, it's going to have lots of ripple effects, basically. Um, I guess the only blessing in this situation is that there was enough time. Like, and I, I I'm kind of awful for saying that, but I think it would have been immeasurably worse for the production if it had happened like a week before shooting began, or something. You know, it another... would well, I think they would have had to postpone it. If that yeah, what's going to happen? They would have absolutely had to postpone it. Um, so yeah, like basically they had time to regroup. They had time to rewrite the script to accommodate it. And I do think that just talking purely in terms of the film, so I think that's probably the best possible circumstances because it does mean that it, it won't be like a big rush job, or at least I'd hope so anyway. Oh, I think so because Kathleen Kennedy was also saying at Celebration
1: that they're thinking of doing a table reading pretty soon. Mm. So they have to be pretty far along with it. Like they have the story down.
0: Yeah, and it's like we said last week, we've had those rumours about shooting starting in July or something. It's right. crazy. I know some fans, and I
1: completely understand why people would want this, some fans want Leia to be recast, but if they're rewriting to adjust from what happened, then I don't think it sounds too much like that's what's going to happen.
0: No. And so. I kind of think that I'd be at odds with all these statements they've been making about Carrie as Leia and Leia as Carrie and stuff you don't make comments like that on your official website and then just go and cast another actress on that part mm. um, I-, I could understand and if they had done that I'd have tried to my hardest to accept it and be supportive of it because I think there's an argument to be made for the like integrity of sticking to the original story like, regardless of like real world tragedies but at the same time I think with some like Star Wars it does go beyond just the stories Um, and yeah like there was this sense that the actors and the characters are so intertwined that you can't really separate them out. Yeah. Um, but yeah, all, all very sad, but it seems like it was the only reasonable option. Um, right. Then the next story is just that Lucasfilm has been confirmed for D23, um, which is not a shock. Um, and yeah, it was just on the official D23 Website, and they've confirmed there's going to be a Walt Disney live action films panel on Saturday, July 15th. Um, and yeah, it's basically inevitable that Last Jedi is going to be there, and I'd also expect the Han Solo spin off movie to have a presence. Yeah. Um, is there anything in particular you'd bet on seeing there, Kirsty? I, I wonder if we would see some
1: behind the scenes footage.
0: Yeah, I think that's a good bet. I
1: think it's probably still a bit early to have a full trailer, although who knows? Yeah. Um, but yeah, we'll get something like that. Like, I'll have to turn up with something.
0: <laughs> yeah. At uh, the last D23, I think they did a um, Drew Struzan poster for The Force Awakens. Oh, um, okay. And that was like the big deal. But I almost don't see them doing another poster again so soon because obviously they already had that amazing teaser poster at uh, Celebration. So, yeah. Yeah. I think we'll probably have to wait a bit longer. Um,. But yeah, no, it should be cool. Um, and I know that people expect D twenty three to be where Han Solo, the Han Solo movie, really gets in the spotlight for the first time.
1: Also, do you think we'll get the title?
0: Yeah, I've seen lots of people speculate that. Um, and maybe like a first presentation with the cast members and stuff. Okay. Um, cool. And I could definitely see that. Um, I do also wonder there's going to be stuff at San Diego Comic Con because Force Awakens had a big presence there in 2015. They even managed mm. to drag Adam out. <laughs> Which is quite a feat. Adam does not like these things. Well,
1: they basically had everyone there, didn't they? Cause they did. They had Donal. Donald Gleeson, yeah.
0: <laughs> I love how
1: both of went to Donal. <laughs> I, I just remember it because that was when he blurted out the name of Starkiller Base. <laughs> Which you wouldn't think would be that big a deal but it's Star Wars fandom so everything's a big deal. Yes.
0: Oh my god! <laughs> I think they like, prompt like, a big deal because um, there's like wasn't like Starkiller a character from the older you. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, oh my god, what's the beard? What's it all mean? And it's like, I understand, I extrapolate and over exaggerate the importance of everything. So I'm not about to judge anyone. Yeah.
1: My my favourite part of those interviews, actually, is so um, Adam and Donal were both asked about, like, are their characters evil? And. Obviously, they couldn't like answer definitively, or at least you thought they couldn't. So Adam was like, well, you know, w- what is evil? Like, you know, trying to get very verbose with it and everything. And Donald was like, yeah, he's evil. <laughs> like, just straight up, yeah, Hux is evil.
0: <laughs> Donald's very plain speaking. I mean,
1: really well, plain. Yeah. It, it speaks to the different characters as well, right? Because yeah. Adam's made it quite clear before as well. He doesn't like to think of Kylo as a villain because Kylo thinks he is, he's the one on the right side, right? So Sure to get into the mind of the character, but (laughs) I just thought that was really funny from Donal.
0: Yeah. Donal doesn't put your pussyfoot around. On the subject of Donal and Hux, um, I just need to mention that I got the amazing Stalls, the Doodle Strike Back book. Oh, yeah. It has the most amazing page on it with Hux, and it's like a picture of Hux, um, like just sat there looking bored and stressed out and annoyed, and um, there's like an empty space next to him, and it says... um, General Hux just needs a friend. Draw one for him. <laughs> I
1: will not stand for this Woobification <laughs> of evil space Nazis.
0: Down with this sort of thing. Down with this sort of thing.
1: Yeah, I'm surprised that hasn't caught fire on Tumblr yet, to be honest.
0: <laughs> I think I just need to do a high quality scan, then we'll see. What I want to do is actually encourage people, like artists and stuff, to actually like draw in a friend for Hux. Well, I assume the obvious choice would be Millicent. <laughs> yes. would be the obvious choice there's also the possibility of Kylo making Moon of eyes course. Yeah, um, and maybe you could have like Tarkin like Mufasa like from Lion King like just standing like a spectral cloud smiling down upon <laughs> <laughs> okay and then the next thing is that Laura Dunn has spoken about working on The Last Jedi um, and this is two separate interviews um, the first one is from the spokesman and she says, what I can say is I had the time of my life, Dunn told the Associated Press. I felt like an eight-year-old every day at work to go to work and be in makeup and hair and walk around out in this community of people. And, you know, be in a studio where you look down the corridor and you see Chewbacca. The mind, Dunn says, melts and you feel like you're at play. <laughs> Dunn is so good at finding stuff to say when she can't say anything at all. Yeah, but she's really not saying much except I really enjoy myself. Exactly, right? <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, and then the next one or actually I should say here that I think the journalist from CBS has actually been a bit naughty and been on Making stalls. Yeah! Look at stuff about Laura This Dunn. isn't really okay. I'm it's really trick not them. okay. Yeah, it's been a bit underhand. Um, But I will say that this is like the most surface level stuff about Laura Dunn's character. But... If you are sensitive to that, then please just skip five minutes ahead, but I wouldn't consider it like hardcore spoilers, which is why we're talking about it here. Um, Right, so the interviewer says, You're playing an admiral in Star Wars The Last Jedi, but your character has been described as very feminine. How do you enjoy playing another strong female character who still values her femininity? (laughs) Oh Mm. my god, this question. I haven't read that description, actually. So I can't comment on who I'm playing I don't know if that's the correct description, but what I can say that I love about The Last Jedi is that it empowers female characters, girls and women, and minorities, and an iconic female character like Carrie Fisher gave us. Part of the legacy of Star Wars is that women are not just part of the story. They make the story, and the mythology of the story, that's always been there thanks to George Lucas and his invention. Being part of that is really exciting and how they are flipping the script in terms of diversity in various roles. I feel super proud to be part of it. Um, so yeah, not okay, CBS. Not okay. Like, trying to catch her out. But Laura is so good. Like, just the way she, like, expertly, like, dodges the spoilery element. Yeah, that really is a dodge because it's like, oh,
1: I don't know about that. Sorry.
0: <laughs> but... I don't <laughs> Let's know that's about... the correct description. <laughs> But then she
1: is kind of answering the question because she's talking about how female characters in Star Wars, you know, they can still be feminine and yeah. Um, relatable.
0: Yeah. And I like how she's saying that the female characters, it's not like they're just pawns in the story. They actually drive it and they're the yeah. faters behind the action. Yeah. Um, and that's really cool because that's something that's very important to me about Star Wars. That it's not like the women are just like passive objects. they They're actually there in the action and they make choices and they drive the story forward oh definitely Uh, that's especially the case in the sequel trilogy isn't it so did you find it interesting that she implied that she was like working with Chewbacca
1: um
0: yeah but that's the kind of thing I always take with a pinch of salt Mm. um I know Kelly Marie
1: Tran was talking about how she was working with Mark Hamill yes and I'm I don't know right now I don't know how that piece of the story would fit together but I guess we'll see yeah um but it could just be kind of a comment of, you know, you see people around set and it doesn't necessarily mean that you're working together, but it's true.
0: Yeah. I think unless it's like a comment that like the one Oscar made last week about, Oh, me and Carrie were being thrown around with the cameras on us, then that is categorically, yes, we are in this scene together. Yeah. But yeah. When it's just like, Yeah, I looked down the corridor and I saw two back in there. Um, that could mean any number of things.
1: Exactly. Like, you can keep it in mind, but I'm not going to take that to mean they definitely share a scene.
0: Yeah. Which is very wise, I must say. Right. Is that what we want to say about Laura Dan? I think so. I mean, I uh, maybe at D23, they would include these new characters as well. Yeah. I guess I'd probably see them being more at San Diego Comic-Con rather than D23. When When is Comic-Con again? July 20th to July 23rd. Okay. So it's just like a week later. So yeah, they're either going to go quite low-key with D23 and then go super hardcore with Comic-Con or they're going to go vice versa. Um, I guess because I think there's more eyes on it, I'd expect them to go more hardcore at Comic-Con. But we will see. And it might be the case that people at Comic-Con get to see things that have already been shown at D23. So I could see that if they show the behind-the-scenes reel at D23, I could see them showing it again at Comic-Con. Um but yeah, all remains to be seen. If they drag out Benicio Del Toro and Laura Dunn, I'd definitely expect that to be at San Diego Comic Con because hmm. that seems to be the event where they get out all the cast members. You, like, I do think you do get stars at D23, but not so much. Like, you might get yeah. one two, but you wouldn't get like the whole cast. Okay. Well, either way, they're only a week apart, so <laughs> <laughs> I, I can wait that long. <laughs> right, so then we move into a few questions. And the first question is from Cindy. Hi, Rachel and Kirsty, I'm super hyped about the new season of Twin Peaks and thought you might be too, since you're both admirers of David Lynch's work. As a fan of your podcast and Twin Peaks, I'd love to hear your thoughts on the new season. Would you ever consider tacking on a short segment at the end of the podcast dedicated to discussing each week's new episode? I believe Twin Peaks will be airing in the UK at the same time as it does here in the US. So that's good news for Rachel. Anyway, just wanted to thank you, ladies, for all your hard work. Listening to your podcast is always one of the highlights of my week. Thank you very much, Cindy. And we have great news for you because we 100% (laughs) want to podcast about the new two weeks.
1: Yeah, I can't remember if we've mentioned this on the show before. Uh, Maybe we had, but we had been thinking about it for a while. And Mm -hmm. we are both big fans of the show. And we've been very excited about the new season and kind of watching old episodes in preparation. Yes. So we're thinking about doing like a short recap kind of series after each episode.
0: Yeah, we'd probably do it as like a completely separate thing from Scavenger's Horde, just because we appreciate that people listen to us for Star Wars rather than Twin Peaks. Right. For the most part. Um, But yeah, we absolutely want to do something because we're such huge fans. We are super hyped. Um, Where are you on your Twin Peaks rewatch,
1: Kirsty? I'm getting towards the end of series one. So I don't think I'm as far along as you.
0: Yeah, no, I've just got to... Oh, gosh, how should I say this? Um, Maddie's last episode, huh. right? <laughs> um, which is super, super intense. It's such a great episode. And I'm I, sorry, I won't bore anyone. But just to say quickly, I'm, that episode, it just encapsulates everything about why I love Twin Peaks. So it's got all these marvellously weird surreal moments where they're absolutely horrifying and they just fill you with dread. But then it just has the most lovely, like, warm human moments of just human connection between people. So, like, Shelley's talking to Norma in the diner and, like, saying that she's going to need to quit her job. And it's just such a beautiful scene between these two women. And mm. it really touches me. And also, Nadine is so strong that she crushes a chocolate milkshake and it goes flying everywhere. And hers is amazing. Her,
1: yeah. <laughs> I love it's Nadine.
0: It's such a, it's such a funny show as well. Yeah, Oh, I mean she's
1: annoying in, in her own ways as well but she's Oh, she's a she great is very character annoying. I think she's yeah. better
0: when she reverts to being a teenager to be honest <laughs> I find her more entertaining than... it's better than Ed Ed, <laughs> yeah. Ed change the rails <laughs> <laughs> sorry guys I have no idea what I'm doing with my accent there <laughs> um, but yes Cindy we definitely want to do a podcast about Twin Peaks and we are super excited uh, oh god and how amazing was that teaser just see in people's faces again. Yeah, it's it's oh. bliss.
1: Yeah, it's quite strange, isn't it, to see them yeah. after many years? But I'm very excited that they got basically everyone back.
0: Yeah, it's incredible. Sarah. Like in Sarah Palmer, especially, there's just something like about how spaced out and traumatized she looked, even after all this time. It's like, yep, nailed it. That is so, mean, so the character. Did you say Sarah Palmer? Yeah, Sarah Palmer. Just the oh, yeah,
1: yeah. She's. I, I just. She's one of my favorite parts of the original show, um. Like the pilot episode, I just think she's so fantastic.
0: Yeah, she is. Like the performance when she realizes Laura's gone. Oh my god, that's so awful. Yeah, like, is that heartbreaking.
1: Like, yeah, it like stayed with me. Like that's one of the defining moments to me. It's just like, oh god, your heart goes out to her.
0: Yeah, I, I watched the pilot last weekend with a friend who'd never seen any Twin Peaks, and she found it literally difficult to watch because it was just mm. so raw and so painful. Yeah,
1: pilot's intense.
0: It really, really is. And then the next question is from Cassie. Dear Kirsty and Rachel, let me just start off by saying a big thank you for the podcast. Absolutely love everything about it. You're both such nice, open-minded and positive people. And you have such wonderfully intelligent and meaningful conversations about stars. Thank you. (laughs) That's very nice. (laughs) Um, Right, and then just to skip straight to business, the question... Kirsty, I was wondering how the meetup at the Pub Orlando went at Celebration. You guys haven't mentioned it on the podcast yet. I know you just posted the Listener Questions extravaganza podcast and may mention it on there, but I haven't listened yet. If you haven't yet, I would love to hear how it went. I would have loved to have been there if I had been at Celebration and hope you guys had a great turnout. Uh, So, yeah, Kirsty, I turn it over to you. How did it go? Yeah, it went really well. Like, I hadn't really been mentioning
1: an awful lot of my personal experiences at Celebration because obviously Rachel wasn't there so I kind of feel like I'm going to be launching into a monologue every time I bring it up. Um, <clears throat> but it was really cool, Like, it was pretty casual. Like, I just kind of said, oh we're going to be at this pub but I hadn't reserved anything because I had no idea of the potential numbers of people who would show up or if anyone would show up. <laughs> um, so more people than I thought came I guess I didn't really have too many expectations but um we were just there like a group of us were there already we just kind of went straight from the convention center that day um and then people were turning up in groups um so I guess I should thank Erin and Haley for helping me out and kind of like trying to find more room for people to stay because um yeah it got a bit overwhelming at times I was just like oh my gosh so many people came I didn't expect Aww. this
0: that's so cool um, how many people
1: turned up would you say uh, I didn't count, but it was probably, in total, it was probably about 30 people. That's but amazing. They were kind of, wow. But they were kind of sat in different groups because we hadn't reserved an area, so people kind of had to mingle around.
0: Yeah, sure. Um,
1: so I'm sure not everyone got to meet everyone else. Yeah. Yeah. Um, if we do another meetup at a different convention, like if you come to a celebration in twenty nineteen, we need to be a bit more organised about it. <laughs> Sorry.
0: Yeah. <laughs> um, I think that's amazing. We've only really haven't been doing it for a year. I w I wouldn't have expected like Joe Boggins to turn up. <laughs> well, I, I think people um like brought along their friends and
1: stuff. Like I and I know people kind of in the ship were coming who like they they knew about the podcast and had maybe listened to one or two, but they just kind of heard, Oh, it's like a meetup with railroad shippers, do you know what I mean? Oh,
0: yeah, sure. No, that makes um, sense.
1: Because I got some messages afterwards from people who have been like, oh, I didn't realise that you were Kirsty when I was chatting to you.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I love your show. I was like, oh, thanks. (laughs) Were you just like unassuming, like in a corner? Well, of course, I wasn't like,
1: oh, this is my event. You know, it was more like for for the listeners to meet each other, you know.
0: You should have like worn like a sash across your chest saying, podcast queen.
1: (laughs) Definitely. I should have done that.
0: (laughs) So it's pretty cool because I I
1: met people who I didn't know listened to the show but um also people who'd like written some of my favorite fan fiction and meta and stuff so that was kind of a cool surprise because then but they tell you their username and it's like oh i know you you know um so that was pretty fun and everyone had fun like speculating on what the poster and the trailer could mean because obviously they were still very new and fresh in our minds so i just want to thank everyone who came because it was it was really fun like i and i hope everyone enjoyed themselves um And it was kind of a good way to start winding down from Celebration because that was obviously the Saturday night. And the Sunday, there weren't an awful lot of panels on. I didn't end up going to any panels that day. I just kind of went to hang around on the exhibit floor um, and kind of say goodbye to people. And then the last few minutes before I had to leave for the flight, um, I met up with CT from Knights of Rant. Which is one of my favorite podcasts. People should go and listen to that if they don't already. Oh, they uh, did
0: an amazing um, breakdown of the trailer, didn't they? Yeah,
1: they did. They're yeah. a really great show. Um, so yeah, it was cool to meet her. Um, I think Solo was around, but I just didn't get to meet her. And I had to leave, so that was a shame. But um, yeah, I I really had a good time at Celebration. But there are things that I'm if I go when I go next time. <laughs> um, I will try and be a bit more organized because I was speaking to Charlotte at Sky Talkers about this actually, like, you could see people um, on Twitter and you would know that people were around and you'd think, oh, I I should go and say hi to that person. But like this, I was thinking on the the Wednesday night when we were all queuing up for the 40th anniversary panel, Mm -hmm. I kept seeing people who I follow on Twitter and like we're mutuals and that talking about being in line. So I knew they were there. And I, I should have gone and said hello and been a bit more proactive. Yeah. Um, but you think at the beginning of the convention, you're like, well, I'm here four days. There's plenty of time. But then it races by. Yeah, sure. I never got the chance to meet up with them because it was like, well, they're not always just going to be around in the same room as you, you know? Oh. So I will grab my chances next time. Yeah. If I'm proactive about it. Um, Top- is it Carpe Diem, sees the Day? We'll yes, see. exactly. Yeah. <laughs> you, you just think, oh, well, I'll see them again, you know. Yeah. But you won't necessarily. Yeah. Um, and I, I did see some people around who I was just too shy to say hello to, and I kind of regret that as well. But Aww. if people listen to our quick reaction after the trailer, you can tell that I'm losing my voice because I <laughs> hadn't taken care of myself. Yes. And um, there was just too much excitement going on. I probably screamed a little too much. Um...
0: <laughs> like, what made you scream loudest, Kirsty? Was it the poster, by any chance?
1: Yes, so that's like <laughs> the first thing we saw, and it was unexpected. I, I hadn't anticipated. <laughs> sure, I just kind of thought we'd get like a teaser. Like, yeah. well, obviously, that's going to be a big deal by itself, but the, yeah. the poster was really exciting.
0: I screamed um, at the poster. I was literally <laughs> just in my living room. It was well, really there you
1: go. <laughs> um, so yeah, like there were people who, who I saw around. Like we went to the making Star Wars party that night. Um, and obviously like I saw most of the podcasters there like I recognized them and I would have said hello except I'd lost my voice oh. so it would have been very uncomfortable to try to introduce myself I did end up okay, introducing so... myself <laughs> I did end up introducing myself to Johnny Grasso because he was at the door like giving us drinks tickets and stuff nice. and I congratulated him on his podcast award and then said that I would just won one as well and oh. um yeah so he like recognized the name and everything so that was pretty cool he gave me a hug but yeah i was too shy to introduce myself to people like jason and amanda ward so maybe next time yeah and i think you know if if you'd been there as well it might have just been like i'd felt more confident about that stuff because we do Aww. the podcast obviously so. i
0: would be like your wingman we will always be there together as I podcast know. partners <laughs> maybe oh, next time podcast partners <laughs> I'm so sorry I don't know why I keep on doing these like, dopey American accents it's just, it's just... <laughs> um, yeah no, it's really cool I'm glad you had such a great time um, as always I'm sorry I couldn't be there it feels like so long ago now yeah I know right it's crazy it hasn't even been a month
1: no it's yeah, just think... been so much to kind of absorb and then we've had new releases of things like new books since then
0: things race by in the like exciting world of Stoll's fandom yeah, and I think now, because obviously that's like
1: the first taste of The Last Jedi marketing, people were probably expecting us to just get like a continuous avalanche from now until <laughs> December. So that might have fueled some of the Vanity Fair stuff as well, you know, like it's it's like, oh, now it's kicked into high gear, but it's not really, like it's still
0: quite far away. Yeah, and I think they're probably very conscious that they don't want to give the general audience members fatigue. They right. don't want to like wear people out on all this stuff and exhaust the goodwill. Um. Which I think is sensible. I don't necessarily like it for my own selfish reasons, but (laughs) it makes sense. Yeah, I mean, and they've they've
1: got other films to promote as well. You know, I I know Lucasfilm don't so much, but Disney they've had Guardians of the Galaxy this week and everything as well. So
0: yeah, absolutely. Um, right, that is us done basically with non spoiler content, and that of course opens up the forbidden doors to spoiler kingdom.
1: I shouldn't. Do it. I shouldn't. Do
0: it! Oh, oh, it's so cheesy. So, so cheesy. Right, okay, so then all the silliness of um, sampling Revenge of the Sith dialogue aside, um, we can move into our spoilers. And the first spoiler is from Making Star Wars. And it reads, in Star The Last Jedi, I've learnt that the horse we used to call the Space Horse is actually called a Falvia. They're racehorses. As we've noted previously, Canto Bite is gambling, and we used to call it the Casino Planet. Well, the Falvias are high-dollar racehorses on the world. The beige-brown Falvias were glimpsed last summer during filming on location in Dubrovnik. The head of the horse is sort of like a cross between a tauntaun and the luck dragon from The NeverEnding Story. Last summer, a friend in Dubrovnik told us about the filming and sent us some photos as well. This combined with some new information, I have learnt that the sequence begins in the stables. Finn and Rose appear to be on the run, chased by men in luxury speeders and the Star Wars equivalent of tuxedos or formal wear. Finn and Rose duck into the stables, and they're met by the alien that tends to the stables. Inside, there are jockeys too. Someone has got to ride the Falvias. Finn fast talks to the guy as they steal the Falvia and race away on the stolen steed. They're eventually engaged in a fight with the speeder and the fancy Canto Bite guys. After they defeat the guys and the speeder thanks to Rose, they ride up into a coffee shop or cafe and meet their contact as scheduled. The cafe is like something out of Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. Bright colours of space beans that look like candy, to be honest. I saw it once and it was like a neon Starbucks. I really can't do it justice, but just know it was bright and sugary. The food inside looks like jelly beans, but I don't think that's the intent. I, yeah, no, I really like this. Um, it's, it's kind of a weird to stop saying space horse, to be honest. I yeah, I the space horse. I'm
1: finally getting used to the names of the new planets. So I yeah. suppose we'll get there eventually.
0: I do still quite like Planet Dubrovnik. Um, it's obviously <laughs> not going to be the actual name, but I was quite fond of it. I kind of wonder if there's going to be like My Little Falvia. You know, oh, like, that could be, yeah. Like, oh, and if you get, get yeah. my little it?
1: or if you get a Finn and Rose to go on the back of the horse as well.
0: Yes, exactly, that'd be wonderful. They'd be like um these adorable, like, action figures. Yeah. It'd be a great placer. It could be like an extension of Forces of Destiny. <laughs> like, keep it all very on theme, for all nice and girly. Um, but yeah, no, I like the sounds of this. And also, this ties up with a cast in detail we had a while ago because there was like an entry found for someone who'd been cast as Stable Boy. Yeah, so Reddit is sometimes right. Exactly, yeah. So Reddit's clearly sometimes right. And I'd imagine that Stable Boy is an alien. Go hmm. by Jason's thing. Um, so yeah, it's really cool to see these little snippets of information come together like this. Um, and it's also great to finally have a sense of how that sequence plays out because we'd seen so many pictures of those speeders blowing up and like hit, heard all this crazy stuff about them being chopped in half and like all this kind of nonsense and like now it's coming together. I have an actual sense of like how that little sequence plays out in the story. I yes. mean, yeah, it just sounds like a nice action moment. Yeah, it sounds really exciting. And um,
1: I wonder who the person is that they're meeting because I I guess that could either be um, just in Or Benicio Del Toro? Yeah. I can't remember. Was Jason kind of implying in a separate spoiler that Justin Theroux was one of the people in the speeder chase? Or someone else?
0: Right, let's see. Faroe will be playing an expert slicer, and we're hearing that he has a pivotal moment. His costume is pretty interesting as well. Imagine Indiana Jones's white tuxedo from Temple of Doom, but weirder and with a Star Wars twist. Faroe's character wears a white tuxedo-style jacket over a black suit, his sequences fit into the casino section of the film where we saw the Dubrovnik exterior shot last year. Um, yeah, so it doesn't sound like he's one of the guys in the speeder because the guys in the speeder were wearing like black costumes. Okay. They had like white shirts, but besides that, they were black. All right, um, so
1: maybe it is him that they're meeting.
0: Yeah, it would definitely make sense. Um, maybe they need him to help them break Benicio Del Toro's character out. Mm. Like, it's like think like a slice as a hacker installs mm-hmm. Um So yeah, like in no installs, it'd probably be some kind of high tech prison. And we're like, okay, dude, we need this guy. Help us! <laughs> I'm really excited about this. The way that he's describing the cafe as well, because that yes. ca- sounds
1: like something brand new. Like not necessarily, it's definitely not like something we saw in the original trilogy. But it, it also doesn't sound overly like something we've seen in the prequels either. Yeah, it I think the closest really we got helpful. is probably. That bar that um, Anakin and Obi Wan go into with the, the death sticks. <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh, do you mean but, like in the nightclub?
1: Yeah, like the but it's, it sounds yeah. different from that as well, but just something completely new, which is really cool.
0: It does. It's going to be really interesting to see this kind of like urban environment, like that mm. isn't Coruscant. Like, I like Coruscant, I think it's a really cool planet, but obviously, if Coruscant, it's not like there's any like surface level to that planet because the whole idea is that everything is like in high rises and mm-hmm. just this constant traffic um whereas in Dubrovnik it's clearly got streets and like it's more grounded i guess mm-hmm. so it'd be interesting to see that kind of infrastructure because i think we even saw those like clove shops like there were clove shops being set up in Dubrovnik and that's yeah. just so awesome like who knew <laughs> um Right, then the next story is that we just have a roundup of some spoilers from the more recent episodes of Now This Is Podcasting. Um, I need to say thank you to Shino from Reddit for writing this summary because it saves me lots of time and keeps me from a laborious task, so thank you. Um, The first set of notes, there from episode 177, and they go, Rose's character is more of an engineer than a maintenance worker. The trailer isn't indicative of the texture or feel of the film, as Jason has seen it so far. From costumes and what he's seen, Jason thinks most of what was shown in the trailer is from Act 1 or early in the film. He doesn't think the tree which the books are in is the same tree we saw in the leaked set pictures. That's very interesting. Mm. The shot with Phasma walking through and debris is likely part of Finn's adventure and inside of the Mega Star Destroyer. Jason believes that the shot of Kylo's shattered helmet is on the floor of the medical bay, which Kylo gets treated in. He totally hasn't seen a picture of Kylo in a hospital bed with an FX droid next to him and a shattered helmet on the floor. When Jason saw the original costume of the Knights of Ren, they had Luke's green lightsaber in their possession. For Luke's costumes in The Last Jedi, Luke hasn't seen any lightsaber. He's seen a walking stick and a cattle prod type of stick, but no lightsaber. Yeah, so obviously we'll move on to what was summarised from the next podcast soon. But just from that, what stands out to you, Kirsty? Um,
1: I suppose the idea of the trailer not being indicative of the overall texture and feel of the film,
0: mm-hmm. which
1: indicates that Jason's seen much more of it. Yes. So hopefully there are more spoilers coming down the pipe.
0: Yeah, I think that to me it's probably means that he's seen lots of really like unique and imaginative stuff. So I think about the description of like Snoke's throne room that mm-hmm. we had last time and like now this like crazy cafe in Canto Bites. Like there is absolutely no sniff of that in the trailer. Right. Basically you get up to and inside of like hangars and stuff like
1: that, which doesn't really reveal much. I guess we get that one glimpse of crate, but Yeah. It's, Overall, only it's quite
0: conservative, seconds. it assumes people want to see things they're already familiar with. Yeah. Um
1: But yeah, there are lots of interesting parts here. Obviously, the one that you mentioned before, the the idea of the books not being in that tree that we've seen, because that would be a fair assumption to come to. And I think it was an assumption that I'd made. Yeah. Uh, So I wonder if that is like a flashback or something. Yes. In a totally different location, like when Ben and Luke were traveling together around the galaxy or something like that.
0: Yeah. Like, Isn't there a thing in Shattered Empire where Luke gets like a sapling and he keeps one? Like maybe he took one of the saplings and this is heavy extrapolation and he planted that at his like own Jedi temple, Jedi school, whatever you want to call it. And that when that like reached maturity that that he then used that as like a library or something. Oh maybe. So then it could be a flashback to that. But yeah, so many questions. Maybe that's Kylo's mission, he's going around destroying all the false trees. I believe anything. I can't remember the tone of when Jason was talking
1: about this on the podcast, but when he says he totally hasn't seen the picture of Kylo, Shh. I take that to mean he has. Yeah, like I,
0: <laughs> I like I'm really bad at reading like sarcasm and irony and anything like that. I'm so literal. <laughs> it's really bad. Um, yes, yeah, so I'm definitely not the best judge. I did interpret it as him saying, "Yeah, I've totally seen this." <laughs> Well, that's cool.
1: Because, I mean, we were talking about, how, you know, why would there be all that glass around the helmet? But if he's in a hospital, a med bay, like, that makes sense, right? Mm. Um, So there'd be equipment around that could be damaged and stuff. And if that's right at the beginning of the film and he smashes the helmet, that makes a pretty bold statement. Like, presumably before he's dragged to Snoke and punished for whatever happened.
0: and Yeah. I'd love to... Well, I am just fascinated to learn the context of that scene. Mm. Like... I'd imagine, like, we first see him and he's lying in the hospital bed and he's just distraught over everything that happened and filled with rage over having been be- beaten like he was at the end of The Force Awakens and then maybe he just takes out all that like frustration and anger on the helmet he's like, hmm. no, I don't need you anymore ah! and he gets <laughs> lightsaber happy Um, but yeah, we really don't know, <laughs> which is a boring thing to say, but Yeah, we don't. If
1: that's what happens, then it does set up a cool. I mean, they already were foils in The Force Awakens, but obviously, if you have Finn waking up in a back to suit as well, it's like a direct contrast.
0: Yeah. I could see them doing like a direct cut from like Finn to Kylo or vice versa. Mm -hmm. Um, Like when they're sleeping or like when they're in their like various recovery positions. Um, because they did that at the start with the force awakens because you obviously have finn putting his stormtrooper helmet back on and then there's just a smash cut to ray and she's like in it's the same like kind of Mm close-up and she's got her scavenger gear on yeah i've noticed for a while jason has been hinting that luke might not have his saber yeah i think he might try to let people down gently
1: yeah some people are really attached to seeing him with the green saber again but i'm not sure it's going to happen
0: yeah, whenever I watched Collider Jedi Council, you'd kind of think that's the reason for The Last Jedi to have Luke um, ignite the green lightsaber and just do lots of cool stuff.
1: Well, there was an early spoiler that kind of led people to believe that was what was yeah. going to happen.
0: Yeah, so, and that was for making Star Wars. So I'm sure that's what they understood to be the case at the time. But yeah, just indicates, I guess, that this early information, you can't always take it at face value. Yeah, um, right, and then the next set of bullet points is from episode 178 of Now Podcasting. And they go. Jason has heard a number of times about components of Darth Vader's stuff showing up in the film. The fact is that Luke has a necklace with a red crystal around his neck. The possibility of it belonging to Vader is speculation, but at the same time backed up by what Jason has heard about Vader's stuff showing up. The Porgs might not be the Guardians fact too, as in they don't fight or attack anyone. But the wildlife on the planet seems to be connected to the Force and defend it. Um, I think they were kind of like um, poking fun at this um, supposed spoiler that had come out saying that the Porgs were going to attack Kylo. (laughs) Well, that did sound a bit silly, to be (laughs) fair. I I loved it, though, because it was such an amusing image. Um, It doesn't seem like the Porgs can fly. Sad times. (laughs) They have no connection to convoys. Sad times. There was a picture with Luke Skywalker and a pork, and that was the number one connection of the scene. Like, can you remember more of con- well, the context for that, cursed No, universe? I don't I know guess. what that means. Yeah, I'm confused. Huh. <laughs> or maybe
1: that he was, like, trying to converse with them or something? Maybe.
0: <laughs> maybe that's the central relationship of The Last Jedi, cursed Luke, and <laughs> <in> the porks. <pool. laughs> Well, wasn't there
1: that weird four chan spoiler at some point that was like Ray gets kind of freaked out because Luke keeps talking to the birds?
0: <laughs> yes, that was the same one that had Luke um Kylo being attacked by the con.: Oh, okay, yeah. So not sure. Can't keep track. That. Yeah, so much. <laughs> if Ray and Luke are story A, Finn and Rose are story B, and Chewie and R2 are story C, the Porgs will show up in story C. Well, where's Poe's story? That's a good question, maybe that story D. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Beneath the Porgs.
0: <laughs> I expect he's probably mentally grouping that in with Finn and Rose's story. Okay. Um, as I'd imagine, Kylo is going to be grouped in with Ray and Luke's story. Um, see, so yeah, I think it's just abbreviation. Um, Luke is a fancy Game of Thrones-esque patchwork outfit that shows his robot hand, and the dark garbage bag outfit that he may wear over it along with his glove. Jason knows Luke changes costumes early in the film. Jason was promised that there is a scene where Luke tells Rey what her connection to the force is. It makes him think that what Luke discovers in Rey scares him and makes him unwilling to train her as he initially wanted to. Instead of her simply being a new Jedi like Luke fought, she might be some kind of harbinger for the end of the Jedi. Ooh. Wow. Yeah. So very intense and potentially interesting stuff there. Um, Yeah, with the stuff later on, I think Jason stresses it himself in the podcast that it's his impressions and his speculation and his theories based on the stuff he's heard. Mm. But it's still very interesting that what he's hearing is leading his mind to go down this path.
1: Yeah, because the trailer, even though he says the Jedi must end, we obviously see Rey training while Luke looks on. Yeah, um, but maybe that's not something that happens straight away. Maybe initially he's not sure about what he wants.
0: Yeah. So I think Jason. Um, previously there have been reports about like Ray having to undergo trials to demonstrate to Luke that she deserves to be trained and that she deserves to be on the island. That kind of thing. Hmm. Um. So maybe that all like, fits in with this like initial reluctance to train her and the fear about what Ray might be and what she might represent.
1: Yeah. The idea of Luke having a castle prod seems really strange.
0: <laughs> yeah, what's he gonna use it for? Is he gonna use it to like stun the um pork so they get too close to him or something?
1: Oh, I hope not. <laughs> but
0: it, it it's kind of something that it's probably
1: just more about characterization, right? That he's become this kind of more eccentric <laughs> old man. <laughs> get Out off of my lawn. <laughs>
0: As long as he doesn't <laughs> use the cattle prod on Ray. <laughs> <laughs> <So>, ow! <laughs> What's that? Oh dear. Oh my god. Yeah, it is a very weird detail. I I also love how it's kind of subversive. Because everyone expects Luke to be like this badass Jedi Master. And he's there like mooching around with cattle prod. Oh well, like, and that's Get off my as well, right? <laughs> yeah. I can't no. tell- We don't know what the overall tone is going to be but i'm
1: guessing it's going to be less funny and more kind of a bit tragic and worrying in the film but as you read the spoilers it just sounds silly
0: it does sound very get off my lawn yeah yeah Um, (laughs) and that's the most fun way in which to discuss these things yeah um which is why we do it um i like the sound of this game of thrones-esque patchwork outfit although again Mm. i'm confused i don't understand what that means (laughs)
1: Yeah, they have funny ways of describing the outfits because this thing about the garbage bag, like, I'm guessing what he means is kind of a weathered, textured leather because he compared it to um, the costume, the the cape that Kylo has, and like that poncho that you see Ray wearing. Yeah, so if they're all wearing this like heavy, weathered leather, that makes sense for the climate that they're going to be in, obviously. Mm. Um, But. Yeah, I think maybe they just got like a bad image one time and thought it
0: looked like a garbage bag, but that would be plastic not leather. So I do wonder if it's maybe something that's like just started early on, like you say when they maybe got like a low resolution image or something. And then like Space Horse it just kind of stuck. Like, oh there's the garbage bag costume. Lol's
1: Yeah. He did also acknowledge, I can't remember if it was this week or last week, that the the Vader cape connection it isn't that Kylo's literally wearing Vader's cape yeah so i think we were right early on when we said that it's probably that he was he heard that she. he was wearing a cape and then maybe the source suggested that it could have been vaders or something like that
0: yeah i think that's very common because a lot of these sources who are reporting to jason i expect they're massive star wars fans as well mm. so naturally their minds go to things that suggest connections to pre-existing star wars stuff yeah um which is perfectly natural but yeah like it does mean that you can't always take these things at face value. Um, yeah, like it's really interesting to me that Luke seems fright, almost frightened of Ray, or at least that's the impression that Jason's getting. Um, like, what is she? Mm. <laughs> Obviously, that is like the question of Star Wars fandom right now. But yeah, I do
1: wonder if it's going to be like related to the connection between Ray and Kylo Ren.
0: Mm, I did wonder that because like it's obviously being used a lot in like shipping circles and stuff but there's been like this talk of like a force bond between ray and kylo and that's not completely baseless because obviously in the force awakens they are literally in each other's minds right and then there's stuff from the
1: databank kind of backed up the idea of them having a connection and yeah intertwined destinies and mysterious yeah
0: exactly and i do think it's reasonable to think that Luke would be very frightened if she had this like intimate mental connection with Kylo, because Kylo's obviously the one who destroyed everything before and he's probably afraid that if she comes to him and she has this like link to the person who destroyed everything the last time then, well, it's all just going to end again, isn't it? So what's the point? Maybe the Jedi should just end because it seems like I'm not getting any luck here. <laughs> so yeah, and I think that'd be an interesting angle. And that might also tie into this like talk of Rey being told she needs to kill Kylo Ren. Because as far as Luke's concerned, that might be, as a last resort, the only way that there's going to be any hope for like the Jedi or the light side of the Force in general. Because mm. I expect from his perspective, he'd be like, I just can't train you as long as he's in your mind. It's too dangerous. Because anything I tell you, any knowledge I share with you, any lessons I give you, he's going to get those as well. And yeah, it just stands presenting too big a risk to the galaxy at large because he'd only be empowering the evil force that is Kylo Ren. Mm. And that spoiler, I'm
1: starting to take more of a pinch of salt these days because Jason, Jason hasn't mentioned it in a long time. Yeah. So I know we got that about this time last year coming out of the island reports but a yeah. lot of that has been walked back he hasn't yeah, mentioned that true. part specifically yet but um i don't know and t- until he mentions it again i'm not trying to invest too much in that idea yeah but i know it was quite shocking for people when it first came out
0: yeah i'm not like married to it or yeah anything. but um i'd say it's kind of still in play because it hasn't literally been walked back yet like you say oh sure yeah it's becoming very like clear that we should be definitely doubting that Luke ignites the green right. <laughs> so to speak and trashes the Knights of Wren in that fight because from what we're hearing that seems kind of unlikely now.
1: Um, well Jason's even suggesting that it's probably not the Knights of Ren. Yeah. Maybe. Exactly. So Who knows?
0: Everything is up in the air, basically. Yeah. Um right, is there anything else you'd like to say about that stuff?
1: Um I don't think so.
0: Okay, cool. Well, then we will move on to what is going to be our spotlight for today. And this is going to be a look at some of the photos that were shown at the panel for The Last Jedi at Star Celebration. Um, And we promised we would look at these um, a while ago. And we're only just getting to them. And we wanted to talk about them in spoilers because, yeah, I think the only way we can have like a full and truly interesting discussion about these images is just to binge totally on like the stuff we've been hearing from various people. Um, And yeah, so I will try to put some of these images in the video as well, so that then people can see what we're talking about as we talk about it. Um, But don't trust me 100% on that, because I will try, but the important word here is try. (laughs)
1: It will
0: depend on my video editing skills. So thumbs pressed. Um, Right, then the first image we have is of Finn and Poe and Leia and like this is probably one of the least interesting images in terms of the storytelling because it's pretty obvious that yeah these characters are all going to be together and I expected some kind of mission briefing but mm. I just think it's like a lovely image it's obviously behind the scenes and I think Carrie has like her um staple coca-cola can i was hand. gonna say i really liked that <laughs> yeah it's so nice i was watching the um WizardCon panel with her yesterday i think and i just loved how she just had this glass of coca-cola mm-hmm. so like the ultimate brand ambassador yeah and has her feet
1: up on the console
0: <laughs> yes it's so carry it's like ah space stuff <laughs> good good foot rest um yeah it's just lovely um does this image say anything in particular to you, Kirstie?
1: Um, I mean, it kind of seems like it would be towards the beginning of the film, like yeah. just after Finn's up and, yeah, kind of getting back to up to speed with what's going on and, as you say, probably being given a mission.
0: Yeah. And it's nice to see Finn and Poe together as well because a lot of the spoilers we've been hearing have suggested they're on quite different trajectories Mm. which kind of surprised me a bit because I thought it was a no-brainer that Finn and Poe were going to spend even more time together in The Last Jedi because people loved that dynamic so much. I-, I totally think it's a good choice to split them up because then it makes it more interesting and allows them both to be tested. So if they were together, then it would almost make things too easy because they're yeah. such good friends and they can rely on each other and they can trust each other. But then if you separate them from each other, things become much more like perilous and exciting, I think.
1: Yeah, I can understand why people would make that assumption if they didn't know about Calumary Tran and Rose. Yeah. If you've been keeping up with spoilers, it's been quite well known for a while that Finn and Rose were going to be spending a significant amount of time together. Yeah. Um and like you say, if these characters already have a bond and it's kind of similar to Finn and Ray, then how do you really test them? Yeah. So there's not really a huge amount of conflict there unless you bring in something else. So
0: Exactly. Um, right, then the next image we're going to talk about is the one that shows Kylo and Hux. And like this is initially three images. But <laughs> well, image. it has Captain Phasma too. Yeah, it does have Phasma. I actually cropped her out of the image in our notes because I was Because just, you're a sexist? Yeah, I, I'm a flaky <laughs> sexist, Kirsty. I hate my own sex. It's like, God, women, women. God. No, I... It's just like, I'm sorry, I just can't get down with Phasma. Well, she just looks the same. Yeah, she just looks exactly the same, and I just wouldn't have anything to
1: say. So. I mean, we- we've been promised that she's going to play a more prominent role. So. Yeah, no, and
0: to be fair, we will talk about her later, because there's yeah. a much more interesting photo of Gwendolyn Christie with the helmet off with um, Finn and Rose. Mm. um and yeah so that's basically where we're gonna talk about phasma sorry for the phasma hate if you like her apologies (laughs) i I think um, she
1: was just included in this because it's like oh the first order are back you know i mean for some reason they're not including snoke i'm guessing
0: (laughs) it's the evil trio (laughs) yeah (laughs) yeah
1: um hux's hair is parted a different way
0: it is yeah important details (laughs) to be fair actually it almost looks to me like they're trying to make him look a bit older Oh, maybe. Yeah, which might be because a lot of people said he looked like a toddler throwing a big tantrum. (laughs) He
1: did look very young to be a general, which I know is part of the character. but
0: He did. I think they might be trying to give him a bit more credibility this time. Mm. Um, Which, if they're giving him a more mature look, that might fit into that. Um, But yeah, he looks very like cowed there. I'm guessing this is all in-character stuff, unless... Like, actually, no, maybe it's just behind the scenes because Adam is super intense at all times.
1: Oh, yeah, exactly. If they're kind of staying in role, that could yeah. be it too. But in that case, I suppose it still would be in character. So
0: Yeah, um, but yeah, these the expressions on their faces and their stance, they do say to me that we're looking at images of Kylo and Hux rather than Adam and Donal. Um, and yeah, it looks to me like they're either getting or about to get a huge ticking off. It's a pretty big pout. It is, yeah. They look very scolded. <laughs> it's like, I'm sorry. I know it went very wrong.
1: And this was the first look at the scar as well, right?
0: It was, yeah. I was like, what? Where is it? <laughs> yeah. Where can I get my magnifying glass out? Yeah, exactly. It's like so barely present. Yeah. And Kylo looks very healthy and in very good condition, considering what happened to him. Mm. Um, And yeah, he has like a tiny little baby scar. It's very cute and nice and aesthetic. <laughs> um yeah. With Hux. Do you think he's going to survive past Act One? I'm
1: not I'm not sure. Mm. I we have to hear more spoilers, but the fact that we haven't just makes me a bit concerned.
0: Yeah, like I, I think I wanted to bring it up just briefly because I was thinking and I seem to recall before The Force Awakens came out, he had hardly anything on him from making Star Wars either. Oh, okay. So while it's tempting to say, hmm, it does look very suspicious for Hux, wouldn't bet on him not being in the film in a fuller capacity, basically. Yeah. He just does generally seem to be a character who flies below the radar. It did surprise me. Like,
1: when I thought about it, I was like, oh, wait a minute, there have been no spoilers. Maybe that means he could die, but it's also just, maybe that's just a section
0: that people don't have yeah. sources in. So I expect everything Hux did was almost certainly studio stuff. Yeah, I think things are much more nailed down anyway. Right. Um. When um, like Kylo and Hux, or like either together or separately, when they are being chided, do you think we might see a return of that compassion dialogue from Snoke?
1: I think there could be a variant of it because they're going yeah. to need to kind of get people up to speed. Like they're going to have to explain a little bit about what happened towards the end of the Force Awakens. Mm. so they're they're going because I mean we saw in the commentary as well JJ Abrams recognized that people weren't super clear on the fact that Kylo like regretted killing his father and then like the reasons why he was acting strangely around Rey Mm. so that they're going to have to have a little bit of exposition in some form yeah and to kind of set the scene like that he's ordered to go off and find her or whatever yes um so it just makes sense to have a little bit of recap from Snoke there and Snoke is basically an exposition device right yeah (laughs) um so I, c- I can see that happening.
0: Yeah. And and again, just like working off the premise that it is true that Luke wants Ray to kill Kylo. I could see the parallel to that being that Snoke orders Kylo to kill Ray mm. because he can see that he's still conflicted. He can see that there's still light in him, even though he's called his father. So then it's like, well, like it's this girl, isn't it? That's the root of all the problem because you had compassion because you didn't just go in for the kill and get rid of her because you were like oh, you need to teach her and everything like it all went horribly wrong um so yeah you need to eliminate her and unless you do that I'm not going to believe that you're actually committed to this um so I could see that being the situation where you have Kylo and Rey and they've both been told by their respective masters that you need to kill each other because so I think then that would create a really interesting pretext for their reunion so to speak yeah that would be really tense wouldn't it yeah because like i think they'd both struggle with that and deal with that in different ways yeah i mean you'd know on one level that
1: neither of them could succeed like neither of those characters can die just like that yeah but you'd start to wonder well how are they going to get out of that situation then if one of them has to kill the other Um, and then if it turns out that they decide not to then what happens then
0: yeah yeah Think to write a very interesting like hinge point for the story, so it sent it could potentially send it spiraling off in a very different direction. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I guess the only other thing to say is that there was a lot of talk about um, Kylo's eyes in this particular shot because um, basically Adam has hazel eyes, and in the image his eyes seemed kind of vaguely yellow. I guess you could say. And um, I did see some people interpreting it as Sif eyes. But yeah, as far as I'm concerned, that's just not a thing. Like It does literally just look like the light catching on his naturally hazel eyes.
1: Yeah, I I saw that from a couple of people, but most people seem to be fixated on the Scar. So.
0: <laughs> yeah. Scargate
1: was the big deal.
0: <laughs> yeah, Scargate got the most attention. <laughs> there was no eye gate, thank heavens. <laughs> <laughs> right. Then the next image... Is really interesting actually. Yeah. So it shows, um, is obviously a behind the scenes shot, but it shows Finn and he's stood right in front of Phasma, who's like sat down. And then behind them, there's a bunch of stormtroopers with um, Kelly Marie Tran as Rose. And yeah, you can see she's wearing something around her neck. Would you say the like rectangular thing that like Kelly has, is that like a script or is that like some kind of prop? prop- I... It's too hard to tell. Yeah,
1: it's way too blurry, unfortunately. Didn't we hear that she was going to be wearing a medallion of some kind?
0: We did, and I was just wondering if that might be it, but it seems like a very funny shape for a medallion if it's like rectangular.
1: (laughs) Yeah, it looks more like it would be a script or something.
0: Yeah. I do think she's wearing something around her neck, though. She can see like a white, funny... Mm. but That might just be like the lapel of the uniform. So, Yeah. God, this is such such minute speculation. I love it. I know. <laughs> this is what we do with our free time. <laughs> um, but yeah, so I think we've previously heard rumours about um Finn infiltrating a first order base, and this clearly seems to be from that sequence because like Rose is definitely in a first order uniform, and underneath the dressing gown he's wearing, I expect John is as well. Um. And yeah, I guess the first sniff we had of this was actually from a Daily Mail article. Um, And amusingly, it seized on this because um, Princes William and Harry went to the Star Wars set and apparently they actually filmed stuff as stormtroopers. Does that mean they're the stormtroopers in that photo? They might well be, actually. (laughs) Like, there's one... The one furthest to the left who's, like, talking to the guy kind of looks a bit like William, but it's really too vague to be completely sure, to be honest um but yeah it could be him basically um but yeah the daily round realm with this because the princes were on the set and they briefly described a scenario and they said the princes dressed up in full stormtrooper gear and filmed a scene in which ray and finn infiltrate a secret base the rebel characters are in a lift with benicio del toro's character when a group of stormtroopers enter two of whom are william and harry yeah so i think this shot might actually be quite closely related to that because that is I think you could easily describe it as a group of stormtroopers behind mm. those um, and they're clearly on a first order base. Um, obviously there's nobody shot or Turo here, um, and it's important to say that the Daily Mail article seems to be mistaken in reporting that Ray was with Finn, because I, I'd imagine that the original comment that got corrupted was, oh, it's like like maybe like John and like a girl. Or something mm. just a generic description, and people are like, "Oh, a girl. It has to be Ray." I said they assumed it was Ray when it was actually Rose, um, because yeah, I don't see Ray being involved in this sequence at all. It pretty clearly seems to be from Finn's story. and It seems to be quite separate. Yeah, and
1: it makes sense to have that error if people weren't aware that Kelly Marie Tran had been cast at that point.
0: So. Yeah, they they were aware she'd been cast, I think, but oh okay, like, no one had any idea like how big her role was.
1: Oh, I just mean like if the Daily Mail had made that mistake. Like oh. if they might not have personally known. Because there was someone quite recently as well who didn't know about Kelly Marie Tran and was reporting on the footage that they showed. I don't know if it was the Disney shareholders or something else that came out around that time. Mm. And they were describing her character but didn't know who she was or anything like that.
0: Yeah, no, there seems to have been lots of like misreporting basically because people weren't aware of how crucial this new character was going to be and they just made assumptions Mm-hmm. I think that's what happened. Um, yeah, and the other interesting thing to talk about here is that obviously this is Phasma and Finn in the same photo, Um, we have been hearing really interesting things about Phasma and Finn from our friend Boffin Spy on Reddit. Um, yeah, and they've posted a few things about like the interactions between Finn and Phasma, um, and yeah, the main report that they've given is that Finn amputates one of Phasma's arms. Um, and yeah, so this is what he says. I'm told that they decided to replace Phasma's blaster being damaged with a full-blown amputation. Her arm will be, the word used was cut, but I do not believe this is very accurate in all honesty. The injury is inflicted by another main character. At the risk of speculating or revealing too much, it is done in anger, and it is not the worst thing that happens to her in episode 8 either. There's a follow-up report to this. And in that, it just clarified the details of the scene. This injury is not inflicted upon Phasma by Ray or Luke or even Kylo, but by Finn. Not only is it done out of anger, but apparently it is specifically an act of revenge. Um, and yeah, there's then lots of confusion like over the weapon that Finn uses. Um, so the source was asked, so Finn is using some type of bladed weapon, I presume. And then Boffin Spy said, hmm, no, I wouldn't say that. And then someone else asked, do you know if he uses any weapon other than a blaster in the film, or is that info you can't reveal yet? I'm not even sure if he uses a blaster in the film, but the weapon he uses in this particular scenario is not a blaster. And yeah, then when he's pressed for more specific details about what's been used, um Boffin Spy says, apparently he uses lots of different things. Also, it's more than just the hand. Like, I think just meaning that the whole arm comes off rather than just the hand being taken out. Ooh. yeah so it sounds very gruesome yeah it's very interesting stuff i must say and i do think it seems very plausible like it adds to this picture we're getting of boffin spy as a reliable source of information would you agree with that because you're still being more trepidatious um it makes sense because we've been saying for a while that Phasma's going to have to be
1: finn's primary antagonist mm-hmm. and i i did notice in an interview at celebration i was watching that um John Boyega had talked about having to train with a new weapon. Yes, there's another spoiler that fits with this and mm-hmm. kind of hints at what kind of weapon it could be.
0: Yes, and
1: that's one from Making Star Wars, which was probably more reliable. So if it all fits together, then it seems like it would make sense.
0: Yeah, no, in the um, Making Stars report on the new executioner stormtrooper, he's apparently a kind of trooper that Finn faces off against at some point. And um, there's a description of this Stormtrooper's weapon. And it says, The Executioner's weapon is not unlike FN-2199's at the handle, but it has three spinning blades on the end, said to be like something out of Phantasm. Think of the crazy blades that come out of the spheres in those films. So yeah, I think that does add to the credence of this, because you can see that Boffin's Spy is really struggling to pin down exactly how this arm comes off. And this weapon does sound really weird. And it sounds like it's the kind of weapon where if it were to take off an arm, it would take it off in a very novel way. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so yeah, like I think cumulatively, they do seem to form like a single picture. So maybe Finn fights the executioner, Stormtrooper wins, takes his weapon, and then faces off Phasma and defeats her using that weapon.
1: I just wonder what would be the thing that's you know, motivating him to do that out revenge. Like, does she hmm. reveal something to him or does she do something to Rose or something like that?
0: Yeah. Like, I know it might sound like blasphemy, but I did kind of wonder if maybe, like, um, there's some kind of, like, attack led by Phasma and perhaps, like, some po- some like Poe dies. No! Like, <laughs> well, that's the thing. Like, they might do something like that for that shock oh, wow. value, you know, for that, like... Our faded twist moment. It might, I guess, it might come in the resistance stream. Oh, that would
1: be really upsetting.
0: It would be really upsetting, but but... they are
1: going to have to raise the stakes, though, aren't they? Like, yeah, the thing when people talk about, oh, well, obviously the first order have to win this time because the resistance won the other one. It's like, okay, so what does that mean? Is someone going to have to die?
0: Yeah, like, so they need to have weight to this stuff, um, and yeah, like it's just I was trying to think about the stuff that. Phasma could possibly do to provoke such violence from Finn, like it's apparently done in, in revenge, if it's true. And yeah, like I could only think like of one of his friends being killed because, like, I don't see her revealing something so intense that he'd feel justified in taking her arm off for it. You know, I don't know. It's Unless like I say. murdered your parents or something. Maybe that happen. Maybe that happens. Um. But yeah, it is so hard. You can only really speculate. I guess the only thing I would say is I doubt it's like Rose dies.
1: Oh, uh, yeah. I don't think so either.
0: When I said I thought
1: she could do something to her, like maybe she takes her prisoner or something. Okay. And Finn is trying to get her out. But I don't know. I I hope it's clear to everyone that we are just completely speculating here. yes we don't have any of our own sources so we're just kind of trying to patch various spoilers together
0: yeah yeah please don't run with the idea that Poe is going to die (laughs) that is literally baseless that comes from nowhere but my twisted mind
1: (laughs) (laughs) yeah I suppose it could happen but we'll just have to wait and see
0: exactly yeah so don't get the hankies out basically (laughs) Um, right then, the next image is a really lovely one, and it's Ray in the rain, and she's holding out her hand, and she just looks totally blissed out, and like, yay, rain! And it's so nice. It's just such a lovely image, and it makes total total sense as well because on Jakku, you're not going to get rain. She
1: saw snow on Starkiller Base.
0: She did. I guess maybe because of the circumstances, then I have time <laughs> to soak it up. you like, SNOW! <laughs> that would have been a really yeah. funny interlude if, she, like, just for like 15 seconds she just stood there, like, held her hands out and, like, felt the snow coming down.
1: Well, had it been more realistic, as in not Star Wars, she could have been like, Wait, what is this stuff? Yeah.
0: <laughs> and and if it had been realistic, she would have frozen to death and got hypothermia. Oh, yeah, I know, in her
1: tiny little layers.
0: <laughs> i was like ray that should not be comfy remotely comfy like and i find it so weird because at one point they pay lip service to that by having ray get finn's jacket she's clearly given her his jacket but then like they just randomly swap clothes again yeah jacket's back on finn and it's like i need scenes you need to explain this to me i don't like costumes just teleporting from people
1: yeah i think the continuity got a bit messed up with lots of things they started taking things out
0: the continuity in The Force Awakens is complete ass. And I say that as someone who loves that film. Love <laughs> but continuity is often non existent when it comes to costumes. Yeah. Like, my favourite is Kylo returning to Ray's interrogation cell from like, Snoke. And I could swear, like, he has at least three different looks in that pe- 15 second period. <laughs> it's like, guys, seriously. um, Yeah, but with this. Lovely image. Like, does it say anything to you, Kirsty?
1: Um, not really. It just seems to be like a quiet moment of contemplation, presumably before something more exciting happens.
0: Yeah. Um, I do wonder if it ties into that rumor about Ray fighting the sea monster. Yeah. We've heard that Ray wears a cloak for that scene from making Star Wars. Mm-hmm. Um, and she's obviously close to the sea. And I also can't help but think that the like rocky terrain behind the Falcon, um, that reminds me of like the area in Ireland where they were filming with the sea monster puppet. Yeah. Because like it is like this rocky area going off into the sea mm. and it does look almost like the terrain that's just behind her. So maybe this is just before she goes out to fight the sea monster. Um, which is a marvellous sentence. Just before she goes off to fight the sea monster. If Ray and Kylo are in each other's minds and they can like to some extent like feel what the other person's feeling and sense each other's like emotions and thoughts, I just love the thought of Ray like being like full of wonder and amazement and joy at experiencing Rain for the first time. And then Kylo and he's all like, angry and like tense and like pumping himself up to go to Act Two and fight her and then he feels this and it's like Ah <laughs> I don't like to feel your emotions. it'd be interesting if she could feel his anger at
1: some point as well i suppose
0: yeah two-way street okay and then the last shot which is perhaps the most interesting right up there with the shot of finn with phasma is of daisy and it's behind the scenes she's got an umbrella over her and it's clearly raining because everyone's in their parkas and she has lost the jacket. Alert, she has lost the jacket. <laughs> um, and yes, it's interesting for many reasons. Uh, Kirsty, why don't you talk about what you get from this image?
1: Well, we'd had spoilers from making Star Wars that when Kylo and Rey reunite on Act 2 and they're presumably going to fight, um, Rey doesn't have her jacket on, right? Yeah. And it's, ra- and it's raining.
0: Yeah, at the time Jason said she doesn't have a vest on, but he has to meet a jacket because... Yeah, like vest. She definitely has the vest.
1: So. Yeah. Which is it's just it's kind of funny to me. Obviously they're going for maximum drama, but she doesn't have the jacket on at the moment when she probably needs the jacket most. In the torrential downpour and in the middle of a fight. Oh god. She's not gonna be very comfortable.
0: It doesn't mind have you ever seen like Kenny Everett sketches, Kirsty?
1: No, I don't think so.
0: Kenny Everett, who's like a like radio presenter and he also did like a comedy sketch show on T V, like in these early 80s i think and there's a sketch called all in the best possible taste and he like dresses as a woman and like almost every story that this woman who tells and she's like this ridiculous like chat show host is like and then all my clothes fell off <laughs> <laughs> and i'm sorry but there's just something patently ridiculous to me about what scenario is contrived so that when it's pouring with rain at a time when rain needs maximum cover, like just the jacket comes off? <laughs> it's like, <how>? right, <laughs> especially as there's that clip in the teaser which leads
1: you to believe she's running towards the fight. She's probably not, it could be they're tricking us and then it could be a totally different moment. Mm. But she's running towards because uh, Kylo's in the next shot and she's wearing her jacket, then, right? Yeah, she's got the full on costume. But Maybe. this looks like a moment of transition because she's taking that off. And then, like maybe her hair gets wet and comes down. Yeah. Um, that could be her leading into the new costume that we've seen from the Battlefront images.
0: Yeah, maybe if she's Rey Kenobi, Kirsty, right? (laughs) It could be like that moment in Revenge of the Sith where um Kenobi like dramatically drops his cloak, and so because (laughs) Rey doesn't have a dramatic cloak to drop, she dramatically drops her jacket, and it looks a bit pathetic and lame. (laughs) (laughs) That could happen, I suppose. It could. You'd
1: expect Philo to be the one removing the cape dramatically, but he'll probably keep it on because it just looks so much more dramatic, billowing on the cliff.
0: Yeah, I'm gonna be—I'm gonna try and be a mature adult about this, but it's kind of inescapable to me that there's something almost like quasi-sexual oh, about a scenario where. I know some people aren't gonna like this, but yeah, it—it it, it just is what it is. In as far as I see it. Um, And it's just my interpretation might be completely wrong. Um, But yeah, to me, there's something almost sexual about this young woman and she's on like the brink of a cliff and she's in intense combat with this young man. And she only has like a thin white blouse on and it's soaking wet and she's presumably soaking wet and these characters are in close proximity and it's going to be very intimate and very intense. And that is just like a very sexual way of staging that moment. It just is, and it reminds me of all these tweets and comments we're getting from Ryan Johnson about him thinking that Star Wars is in a large part about this like adolescent experience, like and about those difficult choices you need to make as an adolescent and as you like form your character and you decide the kind of person you're going to be. And as far as I'm concerned, a, a big part of the adolescent experience is about like forming like your identity is like a sexual being and expressing your sexuality and falling in love and being attracted to people and all those different elements like teenagers are not sexless they have like that element to them and yeah like i can't help but see this being like an allusion to that almost because yeah it seems like a coming of age moment in like a very particular way but yeah help me to feel less like a creepy weirdo person <laughs> <laughs> oh no because it's the kind of thing that could could end up being really
1: cringy if the execution's horrible, obviously. Yeah. Um, like, I don't want a Padme's top being ripped at the drift moment, and I don't think we'll get it. Because, again, let's emphasize that this is Ray's story. So even though it's Ryan Johnson writing and directing, you inevitably have to come to it with more of a female gaze kind yes. of thing. And that's why you get such an attractive villain with the classic anti-hero scar in Kylo Ren.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Um,
1: So that stuff is relevant, even though I know some people like to pretend it's not. Um, So yeah, like, again, it all comes down to the execution, and I don't think that he would be too voyeuristic or, like, too objectifying Ray. It would be more about a moment of discovery for her. Yes. um, And and something is just, you know, she discovers something, whether it's her and Kylo talking as they're battling, and some kind of secrets revealed, or she makes a choice that she wasn't anticipating going in, yeah. Um, that kind of pl- changes the game, you know, in some way, because it has to. Um, this has to mean something. It can't just be them fighting and then that's the end. Yeah. Um, there has to be an outcome to the story. Um, so yeah. Don't know where I was going with that. <laughs>
0: <laughs> no, you yeah. said that very well. I think.
1: Yeah. And I appreciate the backup. <laughs> I know, you know, it sounds confusing to people because when you're talking about adolescent discovery, you're not talking too literally because obviously the characters are not teenagers. Like, yeah. at this point, it's very 19 or 20. Like, she's, you know, at the end of adolescence and yeah. Kylo's 29. So it's not like you're talking literally. Yeah. Um, But it was the same for the characters in the original trilogy as well. It's it's a coming of age and um children and teenagers are supposed to relate to these characters. Yeah. So... They are technically older, but um, they're supposed to represent something to that younger audience.
0: Yeah, exactly. It's like how when you're, I don't know, when you're t- 12, you're not reading books about 12 year olds. You're reading books about like 16, 17 year olds. Right. Because, like, and then those characters like embody the kinds of like struggles and difficult issues you're dealing with. Like, or at least that you like imagine yourself to be dealing with at that age. Like you tend to like identify with older characters more. Like, because that's also more aspirational, I think. Because mm. children and teenagers, they want to be older <laughs> as a rule. Yeah. I've
1: noticed with Star Wars, there's a lot of resistance and denial of the actual kind of genres and tropes that are employed. Because, you know, I'll, I'll get into these discussions with people who say, I don't want Star Wars to be YA. Mm. Well, it is, it's always been. <laughs> Yeah, you know, it might not be a certain genre of YA or a certain type of story in that category that you're thinking of, but um it is. Yeah. Like um and George Lucas has said that many times, and um I'm sure Kathleen Kennedy and J.J. Abrams and Ryan Johnson feel the same way as well, but it's primarily for children. It's a family-friendly franchise that nonetheless deals with these themes about growing up and discovering things.
0: Yeah. So no, it's like George Lucas even said that at a celebration. He literally came out and said, well, I made this for 12-year-olds. Mm-hmm. Words to that effect. I don't think a lot of adult fans like to admit it because
1: then they feel silly for being so invested. But it's not silly because the themes resonate through life. Like, they're still relevant to adult lives yeah you know? the, the themes are pretty universal yeah that's that's why it's so magical because it, yeah. it does relate to people at all these different stages of life
0: yeah and, and that's why i don't think people should be frightened like or like in denial about there being like this sexual like element and subtext to things because like that is just part of the human experience like people fall in love people like are attracted to other people like all that kind of stuff it's just natural and I think it would be artificial and wrong if Star Wars were to just act like these were all sexless beings with like no like personal investment in each other. They're not robots. They're living, breathing human beings and they relate to each other as people. Like yeah, I mean, just as like power <laughs> factors. <laughs> that That is really what
1: it's about, isn't it? It's about the relationships. It's kind of what we were talking about earlier with all the lore and what Luke's been up to. Um, As interesting as all of that stuff is, it's primarily a story about people. Yeah. So that, that stuff like serves a purpose within the narrative that actually matters and what stays with people.
0: Yeah. Um, right, we said everything we want to say about that image. I think so. I mean, the, the
1: image itself doesn't reveal very much, but like you say, because we know from other spoilers, it has meaning for us.
0: Yeah, exactly. I guess the only other thing I'd say is that this image kind of represents like, the last thing we know pretty confidently about Ray's story in The Last Jedi. Yeah, which is very interesting in and of itself, isn't it? Because that's,
1: like I said, that's going to be a moment that changes things. So the story is going to go in a direction then that we can't really anticipate too much. Yeah. So there have been these rumours that we can't trust too well at this point. We're kind of having to wait on other information.
0: Yeah. So like I say, I do believe in Boffin and Spy and Boffin and Spy obviously had this report that I've mentioned many times about the exploding hut and Rey and Kylo having a conversation. And if that is true, and that is a big if, because while I personally believe it, I know you're more cautious, Kirsty, and I think that's absolutely reasonable because it is difficult to understand how that might fit in right now. But if that does happen, then that clearly has to happen after this moment.
1: Right, I'm not too concerned about that rumour specifically. I just know that at this point it means that Ray and Kylo are together, they've already fought, so what happens then? Yeah. So they have to spend some time together and and have some kinds of conversations, you know? So Mm -hmm. that's that's really all that matters at this point. I I don't care too much about the specifics. So
0: Yeah. Um right, so I think that wraps us up. I (laughs) hope you enjoyed our meticulous over analyzing of these (laughs) images. Um, and yeah, like I say, we don't swear by like our interpretations or anything. It's just by the very nature of what we do, which is that we have a Star Wars podcast. We do like to read stuff into things and just have that focus. Um, so yeah, we'll probably be proven hilariously wrong, but time will tell. Yeah, it's just kind of fun to try and fit the spoilers that we already have with
1: the content that's coming out now, like from official sources.
0: Yeah, exactly. It's kind of like a jigsaw, isn't it? Yeah. It's yeah. Fun. It does make it fun. Um, Right. So, yeah, if you have any questions for next time, please do send them to scavengershorde at gmail.com. And if you want to find me, you can find me on Tumblr at Star Wars Nonsense and on WordPress at Journal of the Star Wars. Where can people find you, Kirsty?
1: I'm Bastilla Bay on Tumblr and Scavengers Horde on Twitter.
0: Thank you so much for listening, everyone. And until next time, bye. Bye.